Good morning, everybody. Hello. Hi there. Good morning. I'll invite you to draw your conversations to a close. Maybe at this point you have some lunch plans. That's very good. Uh, we're going we're gonna to now turn our attention to uh, the part of the service where we uh, listen to the Word of God and we open it up together in uh, hearing the preaching of the Word. Uh, to read the passage, I'd like to invite Melissa to come forward. Psalm 85. Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. I enjoy watching TV. For me, a night that I look forward to is a night when uh, I'm home and we make popcorn and we dim the lights and put on a long episode, not like a 20-minute episode, like a 50-minute episode, you know what I mean. Okay, one of the last shows that Jess and I watched together over a season was The West Wing. Uh, it's good storytelling. Have you seen the show? It does feel dated, though, when you watch it, actually. Um, 1999, season one, comes out. And what you notice when you watch the show is not just the, the baggy suits, it's not just the haircuts, uh, it's, it's the whole tone of it, actually. It's the whole t it has a very optimistic tone, very optimistic about, about human nature and virtue and progress, and everyone's just trying to do their best, you know, to help the country to move, move forward right, okay. Now, broadly speaking, that's not where we're at today as a culture right now. As a society, the early 2000s gave us the West Wing. But what about this generation today, in this moment right now? It's not the West Wing, it's House of Cards. Today, what, okay, it's a few years old, but you get what I mean. <laughs> Today, what, what resonates is not the optimistic story. No, it's the story of, of greed and corruption and revenge. It's the same thing you get in Mad Men and Breaking Bad. We entered the 21st century on a, a wave of optimism, and that's not where we're at today in this moment. Optimism looks really naive, and hope is failing, 
And the whole notion of progress, that each generation is going to uh, achieve greater economic prosperity and greater comfort, uh, greater individual freedom, the whole idea of human progress is in serious question right now. Um, a lot of that to do with environmental degradation, uh, which is a whole other topic we don't have time for this morning. These are not hopeful times that we're in right now. There is a malaise over our culture. Um, some lonely voices you, you can hear are um, speaking about hope, um, but there's not many. There's, there's no consensus on, on, on how to move forward or what it would look like for us to be somehow restored as a nation, as a culture. We're looking at a psalm today. Uh, this psalm is a prayer at a time of malaise in ancient Israel. And it's going to show us, as we listen to it this morning, it's going to show us what it sounds like to pray at a time of malaise, a time such as that. And I believe the psalm has two messages for us to hear this morning. The one, God is angered by sin, so run to him. And second, God will speak peace, so listen to him. Okay, God is angered by sin, so run to him. There's this malaise in ancient Israel. The psalm opens, the first three verses, the psalm opens by, by saying, we've been here before. We've experienced this before. This is not the first time. And we don't know the details of that past time in Israel that was, that was experiencing decay. We, we, we don't know the details. All we know is that in the past, Israel had rebelled against the Lord and in the past, God had been gracious and he restored his people in the past. Now, one of the prominent ways that that happened that you see in these first three verses, um, the prominent ways that God was gracious in the past is he turned away his anger toward Israel, toward his people. Verse three, you withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger withdrew, turned, past tense, right? That was then. But now, again, things are not right. Again, through the circumstances of the nation, the psalmist discerns again the anger of God upon the nation. Verse four, restore us again, O God. Put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? The anger of God. What do you do with the anger of God? How do we even begin to think about the anger of God? Some years ago, Prime Minister Stephen Harper made a statement that angered people. He said, Canada has no history of colonialism. No history of colonialism. And there was public outcry, most of all by indigenous people. There was anger. What about the government today? More recently, 
last year, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made a decision that angered people. September 30th, the first reconciliation day in our country. And the Prime Minister spent that day at no public events because he was on vacation in Tofino, in British Columbia. And there was tremendous outcry and anger because of that. Many people in this country, they didn't just disagree with those words or with that decision. No, they did disagree, but more. They were impassioned. The response was, how can you say that? How, how can you do that? Outrageous. How dare you? Now, if human beings have this capacity for righteous indignation, what about the holy God? What about the holy, holy, holy God? And how does God feel when human beings say, we have no history of rebellion? It is a lot like what Prime Minister Stephen Harper said, but on a, a much greater scale, a global scale, much deeper. We have no history of rebellion. Based on the word of God, we know that God disagrees with that statement. He does, but more. God is impassioned. God is angered by words that corrupt the truth, words that deceive. And how, how does God feel when human beings act with utter hypocrisy? To signal one thing with, with, with easy words in statements, but to do the complete opposite with actions. God sees right through it, but more, God is angered, impassioned, indignant. The psalm writer knows it. He knows that Israel has rebelled against God, but what's more, he knows that God is angered. Now, some of you today need to hear this. God knows everything. He who formed the eye, does he not see all things? He who formed the ear, does he not hear? He does. He sees all things and he feels intensely. He feels. If you were someone today living a decent life and you simply ignore your creator or you relegate your creator to the margins of your life. If you live with a life narrative that says, in effect, I have no history of rebellion, then it is my duty to inform you that God is angered with you. You have a highly selective view of yourself and your life history. You favor the good things and you downplay and ignore the other things. You distort the truth about yourself and this is a problem. In fact, you have no, according to the word of God, you have no bigger problem in your life 
There is no bigger problem than this, a problem in your relationship with your Creator. If God is angry with you, what do you do? What does the psalmist do? What do we see in the psalm? He runs towards God. Now that is surprising. If someone you know is angry with you, what direction, I ask, what, what direction do you run in? The other way. You'd run the other way. Away, you might, you might expect that here. But no, what do we find? We find the opposite thing, in fact. How can that be? To run towards an angry God. John Piper is a pastor and a preacher in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he, he once told a story about visiting some friends who had a dog like the size of a horse. And when they got to the place, the dog was in the yard, um, growling and yapping and running around, or maybe not yapping if it's a great, great beast. Um, okay, ooh. They went inside, and after spending some time in the home and the, the dog was there, uh, Dog settled down. He's, he was quite friendly, as it turned out. Intimidating on the, on the outside, but quite friendly, in fact. Later on, they were getting ready to leave, and their host said to them, as they were leaving, they said, don't run from him, the dog. Don't run. But as they were walking across the lawn, back to the car, the dog came trotting up behind one of John Piper's kids, and instead of slow down and just pat the dog on the head, the kid began to run, because you're scared, of course. And, and immediately, the dog began barking and growling, and barking and carrying on. And there, there's a lesson in the story about the fear of God. Here's what I mean, by analogy, the fear of God is not the fear to come close to God. It's not. The true fear of God is a fear of running away, a fear of, of running headlong into sin, a fear of rebelling against God. And for some of you today, you need to hear this word. If you are running from God because you are afraid of God, then you do not understand the fear of God. John Piper says this, if you really fear him and love your own life, stop running, turn around, and hug his neck for dear life, and he will lick your face. What an image. Do you see that in the psalm in front of us? Without even, even trying to teach you, the psalmist is, is teaching you, is showing you what it sounds like to cling to God's neck. The psalm writer knows he doesn't have a leg to stand on before God. Not one, no, there's no appeal to self. There's nothing like, God, you have it wrong. We haven't, haven't been that bad. No, there's nothing at all like that. The psalm writer is, is, is clinging to God for dear life. Verses one to three, he looks back. God, we've, we've been here before. You forgave us then. Lord, have mercy now, please. Verses four to seven, he, he pleads with questions and, 
and restore us, save us, show us your love, restore us again, O God, of our salvation. And in one of the shocking turns of the Bible, we get verse 8. Look at it with me. Verse 8, let me hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people. This is the hinge. The whole psalm turns on this hinge, verse 8. It is the beginning of the second section. Point number two. God will speak peace, so listen to him. God will speak peace. The prayer up to this point has been a lament. And what does a lament do? It groans. It's asking questions. How long, O God? Lament, please, with God. You get all those things in verses 1 to 7. Lament under the holy anger of God. Now, I want you to hold that image in your mind and contrast that image with what you find in the second half of the psalm here, especially in verse 10. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. The kiss here is, a, is a, like a kiss of greeting. This is like when family members from a, a, a Middle Eastern culture get together or family members from a Mediterranean country get together. And when, it, when the family does that, when they get together, everybody kisses everybody. And depending on what country, it's one cheek or it's two cheeks. Everyone does this, right? You know what I'm talking about. Okay. These words, steadfast love, faithfulness, and so on, these words all describe the relationship between God and human beings, between God and his people. And they're words that are personified. So they're like family members embracing and gathering together for a great banquet. Some of the family members are named here. We'll go in reverse order here. One of the family members is named Peace, Wholeness, Welfare, Friendship between God and human beings. Peace is there. Who else? Righteousness. God is just in all of his dealings. God always upholds all of his righteous laws and standards with his people. Another, faithfulness. God is reliable, consistent, full of truth. He always calls a thing what it is. He always acts accordingly. And steadfast love, God is good and kind to human beings. He shows favor and he's loyal in his love. They're all there. Relationship. This is describing relationship between God and human beings in perfect harmony and peace. Now, how, how do you get from lament under the anger of God to this scene? 
And how, how is it possible that righteousness is there with all of its demands and loyal friendship between God and human beings? How, how can those be both there together? How is it possible? And I think the answer to that question is, again, in verse 8. It's in the hinge verse of this psalm. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people. Now, I want to ask, what word of God is powerful enough, so powerful, it leads God's people out of lament and into praise and confidence and peace? Is it the word of God's instruction? So what we, what we really need is knowledge, what we need is righteous laws, we need, we need a fresh commitment to follow the truth. Surely that will make the difference, will it? Is it the word of God that ordains the priests and kings? So what we really need is leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. That's what the books say, right? We need righteous leaders. They will bring change. Surely that's what we need. Or is it the word of God that deals with sin and our guilt? God's word of forgiveness. God's word in the, in the Torah to, to establish a sacrificial system to deal with sin. So what we need is religious rituals that deal with our guilt. Is that it? Is it the word of God's promise? I will never leave you or forsake you, God says. So what we really need is, is to, to memorize God's promises or, or, or just listen to the prophets. Listen to them. Get on a reading plan. Listen to them. Surely that will bring change. Will it? Will it? I was working on my sermon prep this past week, and I got stuck on this point. This transition, how does this transition work? What leads from lament into praise? And so I'm at my desk. I'm feeling pressure, okay? <laughs> uh, and we lost internet on Friday. What was that all about? And five o'clock comes around. Okay, five o'clock. It's time to close the books. Time to leave my desk. It's time to play with the kids. Time to barbecue hamburgers and wrestle my two-year-old daughter into her pajamas. We're winding down, and tonight is one of the nights when we happen to uh, read the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is a kid's Bible, right? So I, I just flip open the book right in the middle. That's an okay place to open it. Um, and there, there's a picture on the page of a big whale, and my daughter says, read that one, Daddy, I want that one. Okay. So we're reading about Jonah, of course, the prophet Jonah. And we get to the ending of that, of that story. And I want to share with you what Sally Lloyd-Jones uh, wrote in her book, Jesus' Storybook Bible. Here's how the Jonah story finishes. Many years later, God was going to send another messenger with the same wonderful message, but this messenger would be God's own son, 
He would be called the Word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our own language everything God wanted to say to the whole world in a person. Now I want to ask again, what word of God is so powerful? It leads God's people from lament into praise and confidence, and it is Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. The Bible calls Jesus the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, full of steadfast love and faithfulness and righteousness and peace. In Jesus Christ, men and women, God is speaking a word to the whole human race and everything God wants to say to you, he is saying to you in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God is speaking a word that is full of truth, full of truth. God calls a thing what it is and Jesus came as light into the darkness. He came to testify about the world that its works are evil, Jesus said in one place. He came to testify and to name sin and rebellion and to expose the human heart. And if you listen carefully to Jesus' words, they will expose you. He will expose the thoughts and motives of your heart. But he will not crush you. He won't. Why? It's because in, in Jesus Christ, God's word of truth is filled with grace. His grace is for failures like you and like me. God is speaking a word of grace in Jesus. And we know that because on the cross, you see the grace of God meet the righteous demands of the law and justice. The word of God says the soul that sins must die. And for you who believe in Jesus, you know that you have sinned. You know that you have rebelled against God, but you also know that in Jesus, you already died. God considers, in, in God's eyes, the death of Jesus Christ counts as your death and his resurrected life is your life. And so to you, God is speaking truth and grace in Jesus, everything, everything. God wants to say to you everything you need to hear. He is saying in Jesus Christ. Grace Toronto, listen to this word of truth and grace. Let his truth penetrate your heart and let his grace heal your heart. But not just you. This, this word is a word for all people. God is speaking a word of invitation to his banquet with steadfast love and faithfulness and righteousness and peace. They're all there. 
And if you're someone who is investigating the Christian faith, you need to know that there is a place for you at the table, and it's ready. It's ready for you. Jesus himself is the host. And the church may disappoint you. Christians may let you down terribly. But Jesus will never, will never disappoint you. He will never fail. In this time of malaise in our culture, let this time be a time that you run to God, that you run to Him, that you cling to His neck, that you hold on with all of your strength. Let this be that time. Let this be a time that you listen to what God is saying to you in Jesus. He is saying every word that you need to hear, and not just you. The whole world is given, Jesus is given, that they may hear. He is for you. He's not against you. His grace and truth is for you. And his salvation is near to those who fear him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy character. You are a righteous God. We thank you for not only this, but that you are a God who speaks and that you speak a word of peace. We praise you for for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, to be that word of peace. We desperately need his peace and we praise you for sending him to be near and to dwell among us and to be with us. We thank you in his name, amen. At this point of the service, we have a a time of Q&A, and I'm holding in my hand the Q&A phone uh, with some questions. Well, we'll spend a few minutes here together. Okay. Question, question. What would you... Okay, here's a question. What would you prescribe for believers who desire to draw closer to God? That's a good question. Certainly, um, there was, um, let's see, there was a time when a lot of sermons would, would end with an application that you, you need to read your Bible and pray. And um, that, that is absolutely um, important and called for. And, but I, th- I think a lot of sermons have um, kind of downplayed the centrality of community. Um, and so in response to this, to this good question, um, I don't want to be heard at all to, to lay aside the first thing that I said about the word and prayer. Um, but I, w- I want to say as well that we need community. We need, we need the church, right? It doesn't do any good if, if everyone is just um, on their own with, their, with, their, with their, their Bibles under a tree somewhere. We need to be together. We've got to be together. We've got to be. We've got to be. You've got to be in community. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an image that's uh, maybe a bit threadbare, but, but uh, a log, right? If it's separated from the fire, it's going to go out. It's going to fizzle. 
and go out. But if, if, if they're together, then what you have is a hot, hot fire. Hot fire. That's what we need. Uh, because when you're, when you're with, like, with your brothers and sisters in a weeknight, and you're together, and you open up the word together, you, you hear what others hear and what, they, and what they see in the passage you're looking at. That, that has a way to so motivate and encourage, and we really need that. We all need that. So I, I, I would say loud and clear um, community. Get in community if you're not. Um, you, you heard some of the announcements about ways to connect to community, and so I would really commend those to you. Okay. One question today. Very good. Well, I'm going to, um, I'm going to pray again, and I'll, I'll invite the, the band to come forward as we uh, prepare for a song of response. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that comes to us that um, is, is challenging and yet is a word full of grace for us. And help us now, Lord, to respond. Help us to lift our voices to you. And may you be praised and honored in our song together that we sing to, to your name and to your glory. Amen. Would you stand? and we'll join together in the song of response.